the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. If we can't have him on Mondays, by golly, we'll get him on Tuesdays. So we've got the great Brandon Weikert with us. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life, among other things. He's also a senior editor at 1945.com. Brandon, good to have you back, man. How are you? I am good. You know, I feel like the big Lebowski when the landlord comes and says, hey, the, the, the rent's due on it's Wednesday. Dude, to, says, dude tomorrow's already the 8th. <laughs> he says, is it Wednesday? To, That's how I oh, feel is it right the tenth? Is it the 10th? Is it the 10th or the 8th? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Dude, tomorrow's already yeah. the 10th. Yeah, it's okay. It's insane. I, I've been putting out fires all day. So when you say it's only Tuesday, yeah. it feels like it should be a Friday. Yeah, just don't ask me <laughs> to come watch your cycle. <laughs> Yes. Well, it's a one-man show. It is here. a one-man. It's a one-man <laughs> something. I don't know if it's a show. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's good to be here. Thank, Thank you, you for sir. having me. Nice to have you. Thanks for doing yeah. it with us. Um, of course. A lot to talk to you about. Uh, let me start here. Um, we learned uh, over the weekend a little bit about the interesting story where kind of a joint, almost a joint flotilla of Russian and Chinese warships were heading towards Alaska, still in international waters. I don't think they actually entered U.S. territory. But uh, 11 Russian and Chinese warships head toward Alaska over the last few days. We're now sending destroyers in response. But, and Brandon, are they, just, are, they, are they keeping on trying to test us? And is there something to be concerned about, about with regard to a joint excursion by R- Russia and China? What are we to make of this? Oh, this is a this is a nightmare. Uh, you know, everybody can joke about China and Russia's navies compared to ours, but um, China has the largest navy. Uh, maybe their quality is not that great, but quantity has a quality all of its own, as Bao used to say. Mm-hmm. Russia's piggybacking onto it. They're Pacific Fleet. Sure, it's not like going to take on ours in a fair fight, but they don't have to. They're sending us a signal, and that signal is solidarity. Solidarity against. Uh, and now they're no longer afraid to stay closer to their shores. They're now going to start coming closer to ours. And by the way, to all my conservative friends, all my uh, right-wing friends who keep saying that, who cares if Taiwan falls to China? Expect more stuff like this to happen if we lose Taiwan, because the only thing keeping China totally bottled up and preventing them from coming closer to our shores and doing more stuff like this is the fact that we still have power projection capabilities into China's backyard. If they can push us back to that second and eventually third island chain, of which the Aleutian Islands of Alaska, which is where they were doing these these uh, interdictions nearby, the Aleutian Islands are part of that third island chain. And so the Chinese don't want to just take Taiwan. Taiwan's the first of three steps. Take Taiwan in the first island chain, take the second island chain, push the Americans beyond the third island chain, which is the line stretching from the Aleutians all the way down to Hawaii. And so this is part of a larger plan. So the the Americans, of course, don't get the message 
most American people are not fully clued in. The U.S. government certainly isn't fully understanding of this. They think this is just, you know, status quo with situation normal. It is not. We can anticipate more of these. We can anticipate more aggressive versions of these as time goes on. And God help us if we don't start checking China anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep thinking back, you know, in 1939, no one wanted to fight for Danzig. No one cared about Danzig. Within three years, all of Europe was at stake. And it doesn't seem to me that the analogy is too far stretched. I don't know if you're like Correct. me, but it does. It, I, I am shocked at some of our conservative friends uh, who do say things like... You should know better. Yeah, well, they right. They do say things like Taiwan is not in our interest. This would be a shock... To William Buckley, this would be a shock. You know, he ran a candidate for president in the primary against Nixon in 1972, yeah. John Ashbrook, on that issue yeah. alone. On that issue. On that yeah. issue alone. Well, and remember, I mean, this was an animating idea behind so much of the Republican Party going yep. back to, uh, you know, Reagan. And, yep. uh, I mean, even Nixon was not in favor of abandoning Taiwan just for the sake of appeasing China. His famous response to Carter's Shanghai Communique of 79, which basically abandoned Taiwan and gave full recognition to the Chinese Communist Party, what Nixon had written to Carter was, if you're going to do this, at least get something tangible out of the communists. We didn't even get that. It was just a giveaway. That's right. And it was Barry Goldwater, speaking of another person of pretty decent conservative credentials, who had to push back against the Carter administration. There in 1979. So it does raise another kind of interesting intellectual question that I was toying with the audience on yesterday, Brandon. You know, you think about the Cold War, and it's eminently true that Kissinger's notion of using China to help kind of thwart the Soviet Union had it kind of like one and a half against two. I say one and a half, us and China because they weren't the power they were then, so I call them a half. Maybe I'm wrong to do so, but it was one and a half against one, Soviet Union. I made a mistake. One and a half against one. Today, it's two against one in the other direction. It's Russia and China against us. This does not augur well. No, and it didn't have to be because Russia and China are not natural allies. Right. Speak to that. Uh, Right. They are now. We kind of pushed it. Yeah. You know, I, you know, our people, our side, love, and some of the people on our side, not all of our side, loves to say, you know, Russia is Nazi Germany and Ukraine is the Donzig, Ukraine is well, the, you know, and things, it's, yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, not. It, all yeah, these honestly, things get a little pushed, right? Yeah, honestly, the, 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 the Russia, I would, I actually think Russia is more like Italy in this equation. I do too. Um, and and uh, Ukraine is more like Ethiopia. And it really doesn't matter what goes on in Ukraine, because ultimately the Russians still want to do business with the West more so than with China. But we now have locked them in to this position where they have no choice but to basically become supplicants to Xi Jinping's new Eurasian empire. And Vladimir Putin is going to do that because he knows he will be at least able to stay in power unbothered by Xi Jinping in this new relationship, whereas if he were to become friendlier with the United States again, he can't he can't be sure that we won't try to regime change him. So that's you know we have pushed Russia into the waiting arms of China, uh, and we talked about this several weeks ago. You and I did, but Ed Lutwak wrote on Twitter a while ago that there are two Russias. Basically, there's the Russia that always threatens Europe, and then there's the Russian that balances against China. Now, in our attempts to 
stop Russia from threatening Europe, in this case specifically Ukraine, we need to be careful that we don't do so much damage to Russia that we then prevent them from being able to contain China. And that is what we have done, and that is why you are now seeing Russian and Chinese naval ships going into our area of the world off the coast of Alaska and threatening us there. They are going to get more aggressive over the next three years. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And we're not prepared for this at all. We are not ready. And we have never had to contend with this kind of threat in our own part of the world. It's always us doing this to other people. Mm -hmm. Now it's them doing it to us. And it didn't have to be this way. Our policies toward Russia in particular in Europe forced the situation. Right. On top of which, by the way, calling back something you said a few moments ago about Chinese, the Chinese Navy, it's still true. You were highlighting this uh, article from the National Interest earlier that they are able to acquire weapons at a rate much quicker than we are able to replenish our own. Chinese Five are eating six. our lunch. Huh? Yeah. The Chinese are eating our lunch. Yeah. They're, they're eating our lunch. If we get into a shooting war, we will probably lose simply because through attrition. Yeah. We're going to lose. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough arms available. We might be able to eventually make that up, but how long can we hold out? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the president, I think it was Lockheed Martin a few weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal, and I'm going to paraphrase now, but he was basically mocking Washington. The president of Lockheed Martin was saying, I don't really understand how the, uh, the Pentagon expects us to go possibly go to war with China when something like 80% of our defense supply chain is coming out of China. Mm -hmm. What, are the Chinese going to let us keep getting weapons from them as we're going to war with them? I mean, this is insane. Well, they're not going to do that. What's unclear to me is how many times we're going to allow them to engage in these well, kinds of Wall incursions. Street, if Wall right. Street has any say, we're going we're to keep getting right. our stuff from them indefinitely. Sure. Sure. And we're going to keep watching them test us. I mean, this is what Paul Harvey might have called a foreign policy testing yeah. time, whether it's surveillance yeah. over the United States, whether yeah. it's a base in Cuba, whether it's this kind of thing. We just seem yeah. to be totally feckless. Let me take a break, Brandon, and come back on some other. Isn't this more fun than whatever else you had to deal with today? Oh, yes. One <laughs> hundred. I mean, you're you're you don't you didn't want to go to Crane Jackson's 14th Street Theater for your cycle. No, no. no. <laughs> Hang, hang out with Leibson. All right, Brandon Weikert and I will be right back. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is a senior editor at 1945.com, 1945.com. He is the author of several books, most recently, Biohacked, China's Race, to control life, but he also writes very interestingly on domestic politics as well. I want to talk to you about a couple of your pieces over at 1945, Brandon, if I can. Let's start with the recent news first. You had a um, piece here. I had it a minute ago in front of me. I, there it is. Ron DeSantis is in serious trouble now. I saw today he uh, fired his campaign manager, installed yeah. a new... This is what's interesting to me about the DeSantis campaign. It's quickly becoming, to me, a gang that can't they shoot straight, the gang that can't shoot straight, in that, you know, three weeks ago, they had what should have been a one-day story that they were going to have a reset of their campaign, that they were going to have a rethink of their campaign strategy. It's now been a three-week story with new firings and new announcements every other day on new strategies and new personnel. There's, there's, there's becoming there's, there's an odor gathering over this campaign a little bit. Yeah, it. Um, it well, almost it, sounds so like I, it's amateurs running the field there. 
Well, and you know, they they don't call me uh, for any advice. I, they did in the beginning, and then whatever. Um, so the people who I think probably could lend a hand are not getting the call. I don't really know who is. Uh, we're told they're very qualified people, but and maybe they are. But um, you know, the last crew he had, um, you know, he had two Nazis working for him, two actual Nazis, like legit. And um, one was a speechwriter, and the other was a, and remains involved as a prominent social media promoter. So that's a problem. <laughs> He's, he, I don't really understand the hiring. So, you know, I remain hopeful of a possible DeSantis presidency because I live in Florida and I see the outgrowth and the end result of his policies. But he's got to get into office. And when you're going up against, you know, a guy like Donald Trump, you've got to be on your A game. And it's true. This is still early on. We haven't had the first debate. The first vote in the primary, I think, is not until, what, January, middle right. of January? Iowa, January, so, yeah. So we've still got time, but this is, you know, early impressions. First impressions are often the most lasting. And right now, it's not looking good. So he can do one more shakeup right now, and then I think he's locked in. And maybe he gets the right group of people now, finally, and they can make it all work, and that's the hope. Because um, remember, the Trump campaign in this at this point, 2016, is not doing very well either. Um, and so maybe this is a replica of that. Uh, you know, on the other side, though, this is kind of a war of attrition because what you know, unfortunately, um, Donald Trump is having to blow through his campaign money to pay for all these legal fees, and the legal fees are not going away; they're only increasing. And I think this is part of a coordinated attack by the Department of Justice with Biden to basically bleed whatever campaign resources uh, Trump has early on. And I think ultimately that actually redounds to the benefit of not just Biden versus Trump, but of of the GOP candidates going against Trump, especially DeSantis, because DeSantis still has a massive war chest he's sitting on. So if he can just sort of get through this period of attrition, he might actually be able to flip the tables on Trump. It's still a long shot, but you know, you know, DeSantis has made a lot of mistakes, a lot of what could very well be catastrophic mistakes. Uh, you know, his biggest claim against Trump was that personnel's policy and Trump's personnel picks in the first term were pretty awful. Well, I don't know how he's going to be able to make that case now when you look at his campaign staff. For the most part, they've been pretty awful. Yeah. So how can you make the personnel argument if your personnel are pretty crappy too? Yeah, it's a very top heavy. Uh, it's a very heavy campaign too. A very a very yeah. top heavy campaign. They have been burning through their own money. But let's talk about a little bit that Trump analysis from the Biden Justice Department. Do you sense? I mean, do you sense that you and I may have a disagreement here? We may not. But do you sense that the Democrats? prefer to run against Trump or not? Because I, 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 I used to think maybe that was the case. I'm not so sure now. I think right now they're doing everything they can, more to your point, as you put it, to bleed him now because they are concerned and they just want to go down the line and attack everyone they can. They have Kamala Harris going after Ron DeSantis right. on history standards and the, right. you know, the danger that is Florida while they yeah. have the DOJ yeah. going after Donald yeah. Trump. Um, the only thing I'm going to say is both can be true. Yes, what I that's mean by awesome. that is that they don't want to go up against a fully energized Trump. 
uh, because Biden, unlike in 2020, Biden now has a record and there's no national crisis yet that could possibly distract the American people from the abysmal uh, economic record that Biden is sitting atop of, despite whatever Biden and his surrogates are saying about how great the economy is. It is not. And just go ask anybody who has to buy groceries on a regular basis and ask if it's better. Uh, It is not. Uh, So they want to weaken him. But I think at the end of the day, they would rather go against Trump because they know the kind of moves generally now Trump's going to make. They know the voters he's going to appeal to. And they think they probably at the end of the day, if they can weaken him with all these legal stuff and get him to drain a lot of the money, at the end of the day, he's easier to beat Mm -hmm. than somebody like Ron DeSantis, who is not personable. He's got negatives. But ultimately, he does poll very well with more independent and and more and more women and minorities than does. that might change now with the abortion stuff. But he does generally poll better with most voters in a general election, DeSantis does, than does Trump. And so I think that they're afraid that DeSantis is younger and therefore more appealing simply because he's younger, more articulate, more vibrant than Trump. Uh, whereas if it's Trump versus Biden, Americans are pretty ambivalent about both because yeah. both are geriatric. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a very good analysis, Brandon. And I also think this uh, for your thoughts. You know, a lot of us liked Ron DeSantis as governor and the way he handled the media. In the same way, if your memory can go back this far, we kind of liked the way Governor Chris Christie handled the media. But there's something on the national stage where it's not translating. I'm watching his interviews. I saw that one on NBC. I got to tell you, I just don't think it's a good look. I don't think he's doing well with the media right now. Well, the problem, you know, DeSantis to me, and Christie is different. Maybe it's a more serious media. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. Well, Christie, Christie, his personality type is very different from DeSantis. DeSantis is very bookish. He's a lot like Richard Nixon in the 1960s. Um, Of course, Nixon had to spend a decade basically getting a personality upgrade (laughs) before he ran again. Um, You know, and so... Um, you know, DeSantis really does remind me of, like, Dick Nixon. Hold, hold that thought. We'll, we'll go out to yeah. break on a Nixon comparison and come back to yeah. uh, see if he has the magic to um, to do what Nixon finally was able to do in 1968. Brandon Weikert is my guest, among other things. He is the author of several books, including most recently Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He writes at 1945.com, where he's a senior editor, and he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest. You can follow him on Twitter or X or whatever we call this thing now at We the Brandon W E the Brandon. The twenty. There's few people about whom you could say the entire second half of the twentieth century would not be the same, but for these handful of people, Richard Nixon is one of them. We keep coming back to him on a lot of issues. Uh, Brandon Weikert, you were about to make an analogy. With uh, or perhaps an analogy between Ron DeSantis and Richard Nixon um, in remaking himself and the need to remake himself. But the difference is with DeSantis is he's got to build the plane while he's flying it. Yes? Do I have him? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go yes, ahead. Yeah. That, that, that's the problem. Yeah. And, there's uh, no wilderness here. Well, there's no wilderness, and the problem for DeSantis is he's now taken, I think it says before to you, he's now taken so much donor money 
that he if he can't pull anything out of the fire soon, um, he will be completely unbankable as a candidate in 2028 because no donor is going to want to throw money at him. It's going to be a lot more difficult for him to do that, for him to run as president in four years because he's consumed so much money. Donors are going to be looking at him. The donors with deep pockets going, why would we invest in this? Yeah. He couldn't, but he could barely do it in 2024. He didn't even get past the first round of debates. We're not going to give him another $100 million in 2028. We don't trust him. So this is really it for DeSantis, unlike Nixon, who, let's face it, the, the Kennedys were, uh, did, they, they pulled some real shady things. Sure. And, you know, Nixon really had a real leg to stand on for making the case for why he could and should have been mm-hmm. the Republican nominee again. DeSantis doesn't have that leg to stand on because, it's, I mean, true, he's going up against this dynamic, you know, figure in Trump. But with the kind of, of, of intellect that he has and the kind of governing record he has and the amount of money he was given so early on, he really should be more competitive than he is. I agree. Um, and so that indicates to many people that he's just not going to be the guy to do anything. Whereas Nixon proved that he could carry and sustain a, a national campaign. Yeah, yeah. And so this is, this is DeSantis's big problem, and this is why for him the debate is really going to be the make or break. If, if Trump does show up, and I think Trump will, I think he has to, if Trump does show up at the debate stage and he is on the stage... DeSantis is going to have to get one or two significant direct blows at Trump uh, in order for him to have any kind of you know resonance. It's going to be both. it's a right. He's in a rock and a hard place, though. I gotta th- I gotta say because while Trump may be hated, he's also loved, and no one loves. Right. And, and DeSantis at best is liked and hated. I don't think anyone loves DeSantis. Right. Um. And the, and you know he's going to have to face this base that. Let's face it, the people who have been nice to Trump on the campaign trail have been steadily doing better. I'm thinking of Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott. The people who have been hard on Trump, Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis, they aren't doing so well. It's a tough, tough spot. Well, you know what, though? Vivek is not a serious I understand, but his numbers are going up. Yeah, he's going up, but he's... Look, look, if Trump were to go away tomorrow... It's going to be DeSantis. That's the likeliest guy to take I think over. That's it's fair. not going to be. Think... It doesn't matter what the polls are. Nobody takes Vivek seriously. Nobody takes Pence seriously. Nobody takes Christie Scott or Nikki Haley seriously. Um, you know, and that's the key thing here. Is and the real unfortunate thing is, you know, they have to fight each other because it's the primary. Right. But it is so unfortunate that the Trump people have been so out of the gate nasty to DeSantis, that now DeSantis's image, you said people hate DeSantis. Most people on the right hate DeSantis because of the lies and the misrepresentations that the Trump world has been sharing about DeSantis. DeSantis is a global. Oh, I think that's me? fair. I, th- I think you know, that's I a mean, fair point. Uh, and you want to talk about being hands-off. Look, DeSantis hasn't praised Trump that's true the way Vivek has. But that also indicates to me that DeSantis isn't some pushover. Uh, fair. DeSantis, All fair. DeSantis has not attacked Trump. Uh, f- and frankly, when they were talking to me early on, I was telling DeSantis people they need to go in for the jugular, and they didn't. And I think that was actually part of the problem, because meanwhile, Trump was out there slashed away like he always does, because that's what Trump does. And DeSantis should have been right there with but, him. But, and they, but if you go to social media, for example, it's 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 pretty much an even bet as to who's being nastier to the other team. 
I don't. I don't agree. Okay. I actually think. I, I think that the DeSantis people are completely uh, all thumbs when it comes to going after Trump. Okay. I think it's all thumbs. Okay. I think the Trump people are nasty. You've got one of his very leading surrogates calling uh, DeSantis people. Uh, oh, I've seen, yeah, you're right. You're you're not wrong. I just maybe I'm following like, different people. I'm DeSantis I'm looking at some DeSantis if, surrogates that are anyway. It, the the yeah. larger point is one of them does have a love factor, and DeSantis has yet to get that. Let me that take true. let me take a quick break and come back on some of that with you because I want to talk about the the um, the conventional narrative about DeSantis, which I don't happen to agree with, the conventional narrative being he's too culturally conservative. I don't think that's it. One of the reasons I don't think that's it, and in all the deficits you've mentioned, that hasn't come up yet. Brandon Weikert, and I'll be right back. Brandon Weikert is my guest. Follow him on Twitter, We the Brandon. Agree, disagree, he's always smart and always makes you think, and his predictions have a knack of being about three months ahead of the news cycle. Everyone's always playing catch up with Brandon. That's why we like having him here every week. Brandon, the conventional wisdom on DeSantis is that it's his cultural conservatism. I personally don't agree with that analysis. I wonder where you are on that. Um, I, I, I actually, I'm not very familiar. What, 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 you oh, I'm sorry right? that his fights on uh, transgenderism, his yeah. fights on uh, the racialism, his fights in Florida, uh, with Disney. Now, I mean, I think the Disney thing he got maybe perhaps uh, miss maybe maybe the shelf life expired while he was still doing it. Yeah. But I but he's seen as the cultural warrior. And there's a lot in The New York Times, and The Washington Post. The analysis is that's that he's too conservative for the well, Republican Party. Well, it's not Party. just The New York Times and yeah. The Washington Post. Right. This is Donald Trump now suddenly running to the left. Well, that's a, a weird part primary. of this. That's so, the, the, know, let me make one point on this. You'll find yeah. interesting and I'll let you talk. I'll, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Interesting point. You're right. Donald Trump is actually running to the cultural left on any number of issues Mm -hmm. from transgender to abortion. But you know what? When I get calls, the cut (laughs) that I guess it's that I can stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and it won't matter kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yo, you're right. And that's it. And, you know, I, I, you know, again, I don't hate Trump the way that the Trump people hate DeSantis. I, I am completely sympathetic. I do think he's being unfairly targeted. I also though think his big mouth gets him into a lot of trouble. Um, I think that you know he he is being unfairly targeted though, and I think that there's a reason for that, and it's not justified. Um, but at the same time, I just don't think he's the strongest candidate anymore in terms of a general election, in terms of being able to execute a visionary agenda. Um, DeSantis and Trump have the same agenda. DeSantis, though, in Florida, proved that he can execute an agenda once in power. Trump proved it's a very mixed bag, and I understand there are differences between the Florida state government and the national government in D.C., but ultimately, that is the record we have to go on, and maybe DeSantis ends up floundering if he does become president the way Trump did. But I want to give that a shot because I see a four-year record of DeSantis as governor in which, for the most part, he did many great things. And that should be scaled up to the rest of the country. Um, Trump keeps running to the left. It's weird. It's weird because at the same time that Trump is being very disingenuous with people on his own side about how he doesn't even know what woke means, he'll then turn around and start bashing the, quote, woke military. Of course he knows what woke means, and of course he understands the criticism, and up until five minutes ago, he hated wokeness as much as DeSantis does, but now because DeSantis is saying it, 
he's going to go the opposite direction. It's very dangerous, and it indicates to me that the man has no real stances on anything, and that is very scary because we need a candidate who does have red lines and who does have a firm grasp of what's going on. And another thing that's, that also could be an outgrowth of Trump's age, but I am so sick of the gerontocracy. I'm sick of Biden, and I'm kind of getting sick of Trump's age because they're just too old. I'm ready for a DeSantis Newsom fight. I'm ready for that. It should happen now. I want the old people out. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's gonna. I I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see a lot more, and we'll know a lot more after the debate. You think Trump is gonna show up for the debate? Would you advise him? To I think sh- he has to. Yeah. Yeah. I think he has to. Yeah. I think that it's going to be. It, be it, look, I understand any any news attention is good attention, but at the end of the day, he's going to end up looking weak if all the Keebler elves show up to the debate stage and get into. And by the way, if that's the case, that's really DeSantis' chance to shine. That's that's also Christie's chance to shine. That's Nikki Haley's chance chance to shine. Trump can't afford to let them have any viral moments. Better to be on the stage to soak up all the limelight and make them fight against him. It would be very foolish for him not to show up to that debate. I know that the people around him are saying he's so far ahead, it's going to be foolish to show up. There's only downsides. But it's actually wrong. But if he lets those other candidates get their moment in the sun on Fox News, they're going to be able to run roughshod without him piping up and cutting them off and making them look small. So in his, for his own sake, it actually would work in his benefit to be the big juggernaut on the stage. The one, um, the one person I'm really afraid of, Brandon, is not Joe Biden. You have a very good column. I'm not even afraid of Kamala Harris. I'm less afraid of Kamala Harris, to be honest with you. I am afraid of Gavin Newsom. I'm afraid yes. of Gavin Newsom, whether it is against Trump or whether it is against DeSantis. I, I yes. truly am, even though people will say, well, compare California and Florida. I don't think people care. It's it's about no, how, it's about the image. Yeah, it's the dynamism. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a dynamic. And I mean, he was amazing. Yeah. On Hannity's show. I thought so, too. He he ran circles around Hannity. Yeah. He made Hannity sound like he was an old, crusty, bitter, whereas DeSantis was young and he was dynamic. And that's all people care about in the general election. That's what you I have think. a lot of low information voters. And all they're going to be looking at is the image, the power of perception, the power so of the image. Gavin Newsom looks, he actually, he's, he's very like Reagan-esque, yeah. very Kennedy-esque. And, and he's, you know, he's sort of like the anti-Reagan coming out of California. Mm-hmm. He scares the bejesus out of him. Yeah, and the, the, the best thing that could happen to us on the right is that the Democrats refuse to let him run out of fealty to Joe Biden. But if they ever got out of the way, the elite in the Democratic Party, and let Gavin Newsom run, he might win a landslide victory against us. Well, I mean, this is this is this is my concern, um, you know. And so when we talk about impeaching Joe Biden or whatever, I'm for it on the merits. But I got to tell you, I'd rather run it if we can end, play this analysis game of who do the Democrats want to run against. I'm just telling you, I'd much rather run against Joe Biden than or Kamala Harris than Gavin Newsom. Yeah, but at the same time, part of me thinks this this thing has been so rigged and meandered with and messed with things are going on that, we don't know. You know, yeah. maybe there's no yeah. there's no i don't know because it's just it's a little bizarre there's not a single talk about devin archer or about any of this stuff related to hunter biden and obviously there is a link 
between Hunter Biden's finances and Joe Biden's, and yet nobody will touch it with a 10-foot pole. The standard of evidence that the Republicans have to demonstrate just to get an impeachment hearing or inquiry going is so ridiculous compared to the lack of evidence yeah. that was required no by the, the elite to get Trump impeached no on the Ukraine call. No kidding. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. No kidding. You're absolutely right. Brandon, thanks for joining us this Tuesday. We'll Thank resume you, regular order next week, probably, but God bless you, sir. Brandon Weicker. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. We'll talk next week. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be back with a final thought. You think about the economy, you think about stock markets volatility, you think about the speculation over a recession, you know what the inflation is, you feel it and see it every day, you also add the bank failures on top of this. Where do you go to invest? Why Refi has an investment for you in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve, none of that stuff. A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from YWEFI, and they are based here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. And you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at YRefi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. YRefi is a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI34. That's 888 888- why refi 34 thinking about brandon's point about the imagery with related which is related to get which he related to gavin newsom it's my point too you can talk about california's deficits budget social human uh economic all day long but uh, it's the imagery of the leadership um and what that contest looks like what someone is gifted as a Gavin Newsom who projects an image which is better than the conditions of California. Daniel Borston, the great historian, said, um, we suffer primarily not from our vices or our weaknesses, but from our illusions. We are haunted not by reality, but by those images we have put in place of reality. And Gavin Newsom is the master of that. He's very good about that. He's very good at that. Um, Donald Trump is pretty good at it. But Gavin Newsom is, as Brandon said, probably the most Reagan-esque politician to come out of California since Ronald Reagan. It's unfortunate he's on the other side, and I don't think he stands at nine feet tall. I think he is someone that is defeatable. I think he's defeatable by you know any number of our, number of our of our candidates, uh, including Trump or DeSantis. I just think it's going to be much much harder. Nothing to be taken. For granted, keep in mind, Californians have to live with these cultural, social, human, and economic deficits, and they put them and they've put them back in office, even after facing a recall over those very things, and they have to live with it. All right, folks, uh, great day. Uh, thank you very much, David Dahl. Thank you, Bill. Thank you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.